Welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman. With me this week is Joe Lupton. Hey, Joe. Hey, Bruce. Hey. So I'm trying to think how to get into this. There's so many different things we could be talking about this week, but I, I guess I'd like to step away from the just the 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 read through of the data and and think about how we're considering risk around the forecast right now. There's a there's a set of risks which are associated with um, how our near-term view is playing out, um, divides that we're seeing between the big two countries in the world, China and the US. Uh, there's issues around uh, how much uh, central banks are ready to take a pause here. Then there's the sort of broader story we've been telling, which is, hey, we think things are fine now, but we're kind of watching a slow moving story which we think is ultimately going to erode the health of the expansion um let's start maybe by getting into this big this story of saying look we've been expecting resilience amidst a sectoral divide sectoral divide is wider than we thought the u.s is looking stronger china is looking weaker uh is that posing is that something we should just say hey that's okay because as you well know the stuff we've been writing is arguing that there's asymmetric pass-through of shocks in the U.S. is much more important? Or should we really start to worry about how much um, uh, some of that divide can can spill out into problems for the global economy in the next number of months? I, I think there are, are limits, right? I, I think if this were kind of a, a run-of-the-mill shock, and you could even push that a little more than run of the mill. I mean, you could have China slowing and, and the U.S. doing quite well. And I think you would look at that and say, I'll take the U.S., uh, you know, every day of the week uh, doing well and China doing bad versus the other way around. Uh, but I mean, the, the, the China news this week on growth was was pretty darn disappointing. It feels like and by the way, the China, the U.S. news is even greater as well. I think what the Atlanta Fed is tracking, am I right, 6%? I mean, some insane five eight. number, 5 eight. Yeah, so, um, you know, so that gap is being huge. And I think the what's happening is we always talk about the financial channel as being an important driver of kind of, of propagating these shocks. And I think what you've seen this week a little bit of is that, um, you know, some of the concerns around China have generated some more financial market concerns. And that potential financial market stress is a little bit of a worry. I mean, it's not. Well, there's, uh, there's stress but, from two sides, I think. Uh, one, one is the yield part is another part. Yeah. So I think the stress from China is coming through in a weaker yen and some stronger dollar dynamic. It's coming through in the sense that there's potentially more. coming off. Yeah, there's a sense that there may be some problem with China passing through deflation and uh, possibly even financial uh, issues around the building sector where there's some problems in company space. Uh, but then there's the U.S., as you're saying, there's the issue of you know whether higher yields, which clearly have broken through uh, the range it's been in for much of the last six or nine months, whether or not that's actually going to be an issue. Um, again, we fall back on this sort of reference point that when you get higher yields and it's coming because the U.S. is stronger or the global economy is stronger, that usually is something that you say hey, that's just reflecting the, the strength. Yeah, you don't you don't want to fight that. It certainly can't undermine the very growth that's driving yields higher. I mean, I, I think that the question there is going to be with the with the yield rise is, you know, yes, it's stronger growth, but. 
if it is coming against a backdrop of lower inflation, then one way to deal with those higher yields that could ultimately short circuit that would be to lower your front end rates to kind of shift the curve down. Um, and unfortunately, I think, you know, that weighs off, right? I mean, uh, you know, we think we're nowhere near where the Fed's going to start to feel comfortable uh, with things. And so we're probably going to have to live with higher borrowing costs that probably will start to slow things down. Yeah. And I think the other concern here is that we're still absorbing what has been a pretty uh, dramatic interest rate move over the last uh, 15 months or so. And you add on top of that, you saw what happened in March with the banking sector stresses. There's just always the concern that take another step up here, there could be kind of unexpected points of stress in the financial system that we're not necessarily easily able to identify. So I think- I think there's there's clearly the issue that part of the uh, forces that contain growth when you're running strong is is that higher interest rates will slow some components of activity. But the other thing is that the higher interest rates themselves and some of the things in China, you know, to me when I think about the risks for the next few months, I, I I'm not worrying that the world is going to surprise the downside and. And, and give us a, a very weak outcome. I'm worried that something as a result of these divergences, as a result of what we're seeing in financial markets now might be a, a, a hint that there's going to be some some stress point that kind of kicks up here in a way that um, turns out to be macro important, at least from the perspective of risk, if not actually realization. Yeah. I so, mean, one silver lining or at least kind of um, something that could short circuit that and is, is that you know, the Fed could step in and start cutting rates, right, to kind of reduce. Well, that's the second time you've said that in the last five minutes, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure we have that much uh, to depend on there unless you really are getting very scared. I think it it would, given the current environment, it's hard for me to see the Fed respond quickly. Obviously, if they felt things were really breaking. Well, remember back in February when the bank stress was coming, they were they did make a shift. Uh, they obviously didn't go to, to rate cuts, but they uh, shift the rhetoric a little bit and showed us. They didn't even go to rate. They didn't even go to rate I know, stable. I know. They just went I to know. 25 instead of what might have been a, a 50. So I think that is an inclination. That is an indication, excuse me, of where their biases are. Uh, and that's an interesting question. Right. But now, an indication is, of the sensitivity. Right. That I mean, this is an this is another interesting issue around risk right now, which is. We've been talking for the last few weeks about the inflation decline and that that is, as you say, raising the hopes for team transitory yeah. uh, and maybe the hopes that the Fed could go on hold and, and pause here. But with the growth numbers strong, um, that raises a, a, another uh, issue here, which is we, we had a 3.5 unemployment rate last report. Uh, it, you know, If you're running GDP growth somewhere close to 4% this quarter, which certainly looks reasonable right now. And I, I think that's taking a bit of a haircut on the consumer in the next couple of months. Um, then the question is, is the Fed actually feeling it's not getting enough transmission here uh, to, to do the job of getting inflation all the way down? And does it have to come in at the September meeting, even if it's willing to pause and, and tell us, hey, there's a pretty good chance we're going to tighten again, which is what's in the dots, of course, uh, uh-huh. so far for this year. So I think you got the other side of the story, which is that the growth dynamic here could be a catalyst for uh, getting another Fed hike, uh, even if they pause in September. Yeah. I mean, and obviously we'll have uh, Jackson Hole to uh, see kind of how they're 
thinking about this? I mean, I guess I'm uh, curious if you think it was just going to be a, a rehash of, hey, we're data dependent, or is it going to be um, kind of maybe reminding people that they do have that extra hike in the dots at least? I think Powell's going to give a, a two-page speech, maybe three pages at most. Mm -hmm. So I don't think we're going to get much of anything from him. Obviously, the big color around the conversation. I think if we're going to get anything interesting, it's going to be from Lagarde, who's going to be talking, I believe, at, uh, in the early afternoon. Um, and she's, um, I think, also in a little bit difficult position because the, um, you know, the PMIs, which we think are an important release in terms of thinking through the ECB's decision, uh, for September is not out till Wednesday. I doubt that she's going to be in any position to have talked to other um, council members and really come up with a strong view. So I think I think there may be more color, more content coming from her uh, than Powell, who I think probably wants to just take. I don't want to say hike in terms of rates, but a hike in the in the mountains, enjoy himself, get geared up for for September after he sees payrolls in the next CPI report. Um, you know, I think I think that's probably right. I don't think the Fed's ready to to say anything particularly strong. I mean, you're you're 100 right, though. He could come in if he wants to and just say, hey, don't forget, we're still biased. But mm -hmm. the market is priced that way anyway. I don't think he, he needs to do that. Um, but we'll see. I get, I'll, I'll take the bet on three pages or less for the Powell uh, comments at the uh, Jackson yeah. Hole conference. I mean, the minutes were a bit more hawkish than. Um then I, yeah, it, which is just an indication reinforcing this point that it could be a bit more of a, a reinforcement of those dots rather than a, hey, everything's fine here. We can, we're on hold. Yeah, I um, still think there's a good, more than even chance they pause. I mean, the, the minutes came out before the, um, the last CPI report. I think that, that helps a decent chunk in terms of pushing the story, not necessarily to stop, but to, to continue you know, to say, hey, we can take a meeting off here or there if we want to, and maybe that's the way they, we'll see how they describe it. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm still inclined to thinking everything we see gives me the feeling they take off September, but that I think we have to be uh, aware that that may not be the end of the Fed cycle. We'll see. But anyway, let's, let's go to another topic, which we've been, um, uh, we wrote a piece on this week, and I think is an important one. We have this sort of more slow moving part of our forecast, which is about um, the central banks not being able to ease, as, 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 as you, you, we just said. Uh, and in that environment, um, the restraint on demand, the tightening in credit begins to erode corporate health, margin compression. And that actually over time is a catalyst for um, an end to the expansion. So why don't you talk through where we stand in that story? Because I think there's some pretty important an interesting, you know, new information we're getting on where we stand in the profit cycle and, you know, how we think about that, that dynamic. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think one of the things that has surprised us this year, obviously, has been the kind of more resilient growth and that more resilient growth, uh, not surprisingly, has generated more revenues for, for businesses. We had felt like the business pressures we're going to build over the course of this year. And we, at the start of the year, we did have a view that, uh, you know, that could generate a recession by the end of the year or early next year. 
um, and we weren't fighting that view. Uh, but as we started moving through the first half and we saw the stronger growth and profits, lo and behold, we put out you know this piece and looking at second quarter profits are, are holding up fairly well here. And now to the extent that's being driven um, you know, just by, uh, you know, stronger pricing power uh, and inflation not coming down as quickly, that's, that's a problem, right? That kind of supports this boiling the frog scenario that central banks are going to have to sit here. Inflation is not going to come down as quickly as we thought. And by the way, that is something we saw. Inflation was a bit stickier than we had expected. Um, and that was going to be a, a, a pressure point. And maybe it wasn't going to be this year, but it certainly supports the idea that you and I kind of more, more and more adopted was that, hey, this is going to be something that probably breaks in, in 2024. Um, the other part of that piece that I think, and we've seen it in the last couple of weeks as the Goldilocks scenario has gotten a little bit of a bid here, um, is that, hey, maybe inflation does come down enough but uh, you know, one way you can get out of this is if productivity is is picking up, and that's this manna from heaven that we I think we talked about. And the about. Fed eases, of course. That's the other one. Which you, I don't want to remind. I want to remind you of what you were saying earlier, which is if you can get the inflation decline and you get the Fed easing, and obviously if you can get a productivity boost here, that's boy, that's a lot of things that yeah. can help you on yeah, the soft I mean, landing story. So this, the, and we go through it in, in a lot of detail in this in this piece, because I like to view this all through the lens of the profit cycle. I know you think that I probably take it to an extreme, but I, I think it's very you useful because, <laughs> because if you get inflation coming down enough, that has to be a world in which corporates are tolerating some margin compression. And why will they tolerate it? Well, if revenues are holding up okay, profits hold up okay. And, and you've seen this in prior kind of soft landing uh, cycles, as, as you were showing me this week, you know, the 60s and the 80s and the 90s, you have some margin compression, uh, you know, going on, some profits taking it on the chin. And that tolerance is important. If inflation comes down, the Fed gets to ease and you can extend the life of the expansion that way. The other way to get Goldilocks, as, as I, I said earlier, and you were pointing out, is productivity picks up. That's that's the true Goldilocks squared because that gives income to everyone. Corporates get income because unit labor costs aren't that high. Households get income because wages are doing okay. The Fed feels good because prices don't need to go up as much. And you get an extension of the expansion. So well, uh, that was all that. Comp too complicated for viewers that read the piece because it goes through that in a lot of well, let me Let me underscore that for the couple of points which I think are important. One is to the extent that you can get um, a supply side improvement, which, you know, talking productivity here, that helps you um, with your inflation problem. It also means you don't need to have wage inflation come down. So I think that's an important point, particularly yes. given where wage inflation is right now. You know, one of and the- And probably going to be get stuck in a world where labor markets just, you know, certainly the unemployment rates just seem to not really be moving up that much. Right. So I think if you look at the U.S. labor market today, you're seeing- still numbers in wage space, which are running above a 4% pace. We can debate where we'll be six months from now. Um, you know, So I think if you wanted to have unit labor costs align with a 2 2.5% inflation target, you need to have um, productivity growth run closer to 2, which is well above where we've been running for the last 10, 15 years. So I think the idea, if you can get productivity growth run close to 2, you, you put yourself in a much better position to get that kind of that kind That's of balance. A lot. <laughs> That's, that is asking a lot. But ha that having said that, 
Um, the other point is that when we're thinking about uh, profits now, the piece we wrote was about through the second quarter. Now we're thinking about the third quarter and there's a GDP um, surprise that looks like it's coming everywhere, most everywhere outside of China um, and particularly in the US. If you put the US at a, um, a strong GDP number, let's just say three to 4%, uh, you give it pricing of about three, that's 6% nominal growth. Now that is still coming against relatively high uh, wage gains, but at least through the July payroll report, we're sitting with a relatively flat hours profile, which is suggesting you're also going to get a good productivity report, which means that, you know, as it's shaping up right now, and this is really early in the quarter, you know, the third quarter could be a pretty darn Oh, it's going to be we'll great. Be profits, it's going to yeah, quarter. it's going to be a great quarter. Both the because pressure, of productivity as well as because of strong GDP growth. That's yeah, the, the, both the of those concern, pieces of combined. The concern and pressure here, at least through the middle of the year, is not at all the corporate sector, right? That was where we thought you were going to start to feel the pressure. That's not the problem. The problem is that three to four percent inflation, <laughs> right? That's just not coming coming down enough. I think as you go into next year. I mean, I think 2% productivity is asking too much, but if you got 1% productivity, 3.5% wage growth, which gives I think getting 3.5% wage growth is too much. I think we're going to be above 4. Well, okay, let's say 4. That's my my point. Right, let's say 4 and then 1.5% productivity, which is high, Uh, but that's that's 2.5% on pricing. And that's the interesting question, right? And that would be just to keep margins stable. Two and a half right? on unit labor costs. So if two and a half on two... unit labor costs, but then that would give you two and a half percent on on pricing then to hold margins constant. And if I told you that by the middle of next year we're running two and a half percent on inflation sustained, yeah. I, I that would be an interesting bubble test for whether central banks tolerate that. But I, no, think, I think you, I think if you get two and a half percent on inflation and two and a half percent on unit labor costs. I mean, it's recognition issue there, but I think that gets you Fed easing. Um, you know, it just takes some time for them to kind of be comfortable with that. That I think two and a half percent inflation with a policy rate of five and a half at some point they'll ease. I don't think we're going to yeah. get there. I, and it's a it's a fine line. I think the difference between a Fed that could be tightening more and a Fed that could be easing is the difference between them recognizing inflation is a two and a half, which then I think they'd start taking their feet off the brake. Right. But if infl- inflation settles somewhere at three and a half, then they got a problem and they could be yeah, tightened more. Yeah, I mean, that's more. why we only have 35% chance on this Goldilocks scenario we're talking about. We're- yeah, but I think the other side of this is God knows we don't know doodly squat about the inflation process. So the productivity. Us, if any, that, that's part <laughs> of it. But if anybody, anybody, like I think we knew that we weren't going to stay with five, six, seven percent inflation. That wasn't a hard call. Yeah. But the idea of, of being confident and cocky, and, and we obviously sound cocky and confident quite often, but the idea that you could distinguish uh, inflation settling at this point within a 50 basis point range is a bit uh, too much for for even economists' hubris. So uh, yeah. uh, maybe that's a good note to end, especially since uh, <laughs> you're going off on vacation now for the next two weeks. So you can uh, uh, just relax and and think about um, all the fun things that are not about where the U.S. economy and the global economy is going to be for the next six or 12 months. I'm going to think uh, about Powell hiking through the mountains in his hiking. suit. <laughs> yeah, his great tie-dye, grateful dead t-shirt. Right. But uh, 
I think we'll leave it there. I will will note that we're going to take uh, next week off. We'll come back on the first, which is the uh, employment report, and hope everybody is enjoying uh, some time to uh, rest and vacate over summer and uh, pick up the conversation again in early September on JP Morgan TV. Thank you.